Hello, and welcome to CVA University, episode two. Today, we will be talking about structural heart with Dr. Steve Baker and Dr. Matt Sample of CVA. Uh, Specifically on this episode, we will be talking about the aortic valve and a procedure called the TAVR, um, a minimally invasive way that they replace this valve now through a small incision in the leg. Uh, Structural heart has had a huge advancement in the last 10 years, and we get into this with our physicians today, and it, it was really just a wonderful conversation with two teammates that function together on a very highly functioning team. So without further ado, let's get to our conversation with Dr. Steve Baker and Dr. Matt Sample. Dr. Baker, Dr. Sample, it is a pleasure to sit down with you guys today. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having us. Thank you very much, Will. Um, for those listening, our wonderful physicians are sharing a microphone today. So if one sounds farther away, it's because he is. So guys, structural heart is what we're talking about today. Um, you know, for any patients listening, they've probably heard the term. If they haven't, can you break this down for me? Let's just talk about structural heart. That's obviously the structure of something. But when it comes to what you do every day, tell me about it. Yeah, so structural heart generally involves the larger um, aspects of the heart, the valves, uh, the, the, the walls between the chambers, um, correcting uh, big structures that are traditionally taken care of or have traditionally been taken care of surgically. Uh, structural heart's really been around for, for a while. Uh, children born with, you know, quote-unquote, holes in their heart, usually this is an atrial septal defect or a ventricular septal defect. We've had the ability to close these holes in their hearts uh, with catheter-based procedures for a number of decades now. And that was probably the beginning stages of structural heart. Uh, It has to deal with tight valves, um, the term aortic stenosis, which is a narrowing of the aortic valve, which is the main exit of blood from the heart. Uh, We've been using a balloon to stretch that valve for quite some time. And more recently, we've actually been able to implant a valve uh, with a catheter-based procedure. But the term structural heart really just refers to large uh, structures inside the heart that have traditionally failed and have had to be dealt with surgically uh, that we're able to deal with now with catheters. And I'll just add that oftentimes we're able to address these problems in a catheter-based way, which Dr. Sample is uh, referencing, but that often means that patients can come in and have their aortic valve repaired or replaced or their mitral valve repaired and go home the next day uh, with, the, with a Band-Aid on their leg, which is, of course, a dramatic, um, a, a dramatic change from the traditional open structural uh, or open heart surgeries, uh, mainly the purview of the cardiac surgeons. Structural heart is a discipline that grew out of interventional cardiologists who, after we couldn't find anything else to stent, we started looking for other things to do. And so looking, looking into addressing heart valves and defects in the walls of the heart was a logical thought process. So, so guys, it's safe to say like the last 10 years, you know, has the way that you view this and approach your patients, has that really changed a lot based on how it was 10 years ago? Yeah. You know, 10 years ago, um, what Dr. Baker and I do, we see adult patients. And so a lot of our patients, the main, the number one referral really is aortic stenosis. And aortic stenosis until, you know, 2012 had been a surgical problem. And about a third of patients, if you look at it, are 
denied surgery because they're too high risk to undergo an open operation. And so we have um, about 100,000 people a year that end up needing a an aortic valve replacement. You know, about 30,000 of those each year were turned down. And so we had to have some sort of stop gap because this is a completely correctable problem. If you get your aortic valve fixed, you go on to live a normal length of life. You feel much better, have less hospitalizations. So they were turned down because they couldn't accommodate traditional surgery? Correct. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, our surgeon felt that they were too high risk to undergo a, a procedure safely. And so a technique called TAVR, uh, it stands for transcatheter aortic valve replacement, where a small valve is crimped down onto a balloon and that's delivered to the aortic valve and expanded, uh, was invented to, to you know, take care of that those 30,000 patients per year that we couldn't, couldn't help otherwise. There are, is no medicine to treat aortic stenosis. It's a mechanical problem and so requires a mechanical fix. Um, it just turned out that it worked so well for those patients that we actually offer it to almost every patient who has severe aortic stenosis now, unless they have other reasons that they should have traditional surgery. But since 2015 in this country, TAVR has been the most common way of replacing an aortic valve. So this, this is a true game changer procedure. That's, that's what it sounds like from you guys. It's a market game changer. When I came to the field in 2000, this didn't exist. The only thing that we had at that point was repairing atrial septal defects and patching walls within the heart. But with the advent of TAVR in 2012, it really has been such a game changer for patients who almost the vast majority of these people are older and the surgical risk of fixing that is significant. It requires an open chest. It requires uh, uh, being on an, uh, a heart-lung machine. It requires general anesthesia. Whereas um, uh, Matt and I just did four of these TAVR procedures in the mo this morning. Um, two of them were awake patients Three of them were awake patients. One of them was uh, on a breathing machine, but they're all uh, out in the ICU with Band-Aids on their leg at this point. Um, and so it's a, it's a huge game changer to be able to treat people with severe disease and lots of other medical problems for whom a surgery would be a very difficult undertaking. Right. Most of these patients will go home tomorrow. Uh, you know, and that's... Um, you know, in terms of the rehab following their procedure, it's a dramatically shorter recovery time. These patients, you know, if you hold them in the hospital for longer than 24 hours, most of them are wondering why. It's, it really is a game changer. So tell me about this, this valve you guys are implanting. Like, how long do these typically last on a patient? So the valve is, um, if you can imagine a, um, a circular metal frame uh, inside of which is sewn a, a very thin tissue um, to make up the leaflets of the valve that open and close as the heart beats. Uh, the leaflet is made either from the lining surrounding a cow or a pig's heart. Uh, that, that sac is called the pericardium that surrounds the heart. And those animals, um, when they're harvested, for lack of a better term, that's, the pericardium is kind of tanned. It's not a living tissue. Um, so it should last quite a while. We don't know what the longevity of our TAVR valves are. They just haven't been around that long. We do have very early data that came from the very beginning studies of patients looking at TAVR that shows that in those that did survive 10 years, the valves held up pretty well. Um, 
we assume that they last about 10 to 15 years, uh, which is what surgical valves tend to tend to last. So um, I'm imagining putting this valve in pretty complicated process. And is this something you do just on your own? How, how does this work? What's the how, how do we go into deciding who gets a valve and putting it in? What's that look like? Well, we run in a pack. Um, as it turns out, uh, the decisions and the uh, the treatments are they it, it spans several different disciplines. So, uh, in a center like here, we have a valve team with cardiothoracic surgeons, interventional cardiologists like Matt and I, anesthesiologists, and usually an imaging cardiologist. And so we get together weekly, we discuss all these patients, and we try to figure out, well, what would be the best treatment for this patient? Would a surgical uh, valve be the best here? Would a TAVR valve be the best for this patient? And then in the procedure, it's similar. You have to have an interventional cardiologist and a cardiac surgeon together doing the procedure. And like uh, in a center like here, uh, Matt and I do all these procedures together with our uh, cardiothoracic surgery team, uh, Will McAlexander. We have typically an imaging cardiologist, Dr. Luis Pinheiro, and we have an anesthesia team. So you can do the procedure relatively quickly, under an hour, but the prep work is considerable. And then the team, there might be 25 people in the room uh, doing a TAVR. Uh, you may be start to finish, might not take 45 minutes. But there's a lot of people uh, there helping you. So it, it's um, the ultimate team approach. Uh, and we think patients benefit from lots of different angles of expertise coming to the procedure. Yeah, that, that's a comfort to me, just knowing that that many eyes are looking at a problem going in. Like, I think that makes the right decision happen a lot more frequently. Um, off the top of your head, do you guys know, like, as far as valve problems like this, what percentage of the population end up with valve problems? You know, it's, it's about 100,000 patients a year that end up needing an aortic valve procedure. Um, mitral valve is becoming more and more common as, as our overall population begins to age. We're finding that valvular heart disease is, is epidemic. Uh, we are seeing much higher rates of valvular heart disease today than we were a few decades ago. A lot of that's aortic, but what we're finding is that we're seeing more and more mitral valve problems, and this is a leaky mitral valve. This is the valve just before the aortic valve, and this valve can leak over time. And what we see is that about 4% of the population after the age of 75 has some form of significant valvular heart disease. So quite common. So guys, uh, for the patient that has this heart valve issue or any heart valve issues, what, or is it best that they show up to you early in the game or kind of late in the game? What's the best way to get to you? At what stage should you guys be consulted in this? We always like to be involved on the front end as much as we can. Uh, oftentimes, if you're involved early on, you, you don't need to intervene at that point, but you're able to follow the patient and watch the valve change over time. And at the point when the valve needs to be addressed, you can address it before the heart muscle becomes compromised. And so some of our biggest problems nowadays are people that have had valve problems that weren't addressed because they didn't think that they would be able to undergo a procedure. They didn't know there was a minimally invasive procedure. And they've gone past the point of almost no return, so to speak, where the heart muscle has become compromised. Uh, 
you know, uh, in the era of COVID, that's one of our problems that we've had. Patients came in and either knew they had a valve problem but didn't want to get evaluated or didn't want to get evaluated at the front end at all. And so we've seen patients come in a little bit later uh, delaying treatment because of COVID. So that's, that's been one of our concerns for structural heart and for cardiology in general. Um, COVID is a concern. We're, we're very uh, attuned to that uh, issue. And of course, everybody feels like the hospitals are places where people are sick and you don't want to be. That being said, um, valvular heart disease and cardiac disease in general are still issues that are among the number one killers in the United States. And we certainly worry about people delaying that evaluation. So the message is get to you guys as soon as possible. Yeah, you know, sometimes I think that our referrings worry that they might be bothering us to send a patient very early. Uh, they, they don't want to bog the system down. or um, But really, I, I would much rather have a patient referred to me with only moderate valvular heart disease that didn't need anything at the, at the moment um, and that I could follow over time. Uh, and then at the very soonest uh, it was appropriate to go ahead and, and move forward with a valve intervention as opposed to the opposite scenario where they're referred many, many years too late and, and unfortunately we don't have anything to, to offer them. That, that's another aspect of what we do as structural heart doctors is we work closely with our um, palliative care colleagues. Um, you know, sometimes it's, it's not appropriate to move forward with a valve intervention and patients just too sick and uh, we work closely with our palliative care and hospice colleagues and sometimes that's the most appropriate thing to do for patients is to refer for, for palliative care. And we've done that. So consult you guys early and often. That's what I'm hearing. The structural heart team needs to be consulted early and often in the we process. We like to be involved early in the case. The, the wolf pack of the structural heart team. The, the, the wolf pack of the structural heart team, <laughs> yes. And that's really what we call ourselves too. We've got that on a t-shirt. <laughs> This concludes our episode today, episode two on structural heart with Dr. Steve Baker and Dr. Matt Sample. Stay tuned for the continuation of this episode. It will be episode three, where we will discuss the mitral valve and persistent AFib and a device that these physicians implant called the Watchman, as well as kind of what's coming for structural heart in the future, what we can look at as the next big advancement in structural heart and cardiovascular medicine. So tune in next episode. If you have any questions for us, feel free to email us at education at cvapc.com. That's education at cvapc.com or visit us on the web at cvapc.com. Thanks for tuning in and thanks for listening to CVA University, the educational component of Cardiovascular Associates of the Southeast in the Colonnade in Birmingham, Alabama. Until next time, thanks.